You are about to enter into a new world of knowledge, curiosities, and high strangeness. This is a podcast of Straight Up Strange Productions. Greetings, friends, and welcome to episode 81 of Spellcast. I am your host, Andreel. Today is one of those days where you're just going to be with me, as Di Castiria is a bit busy. I was on a little bit of amusing, and I was going back to all of my grimoires in the more science-oriented aspects of what it is I do, and I wanted to talk more about a point that I've actually taught a lot to a lot of people in my coven and all the people who come to my classes, and I wanted to share an abridged version with the podcast, because I figured I'd never really talked about this. So I hope you appreciate it. This is essentially a talk about how nature exists, the natural laws of nature, and how nature mimics itself everywhere, and how this can affect your magic, how understanding this can make your magic much more powerful. So, I will entitle this Magic and Nature. How storms and spells, economy, and nature in and of itself are all one and the same. Existence is constant vibration, dear friends. And we talk about this often, it's become kind of a kitschy thing to say, you know, your vibes, your vibration, you know, it's... it's become quite a caricature to certain people, uh, one that is probably a little hackneyed in certain contexts. But I want to come and talk about this in a scientific way as well as a magical one and, and a neo-pagan one. So existence is constant vibration. This is evident in science that on a subatomic level, everything is composed of atoms and molecules vibrating at a particular frequency. As I've talked about with the quadrivium, uh, mathematics is number. It's the abstract. We use number to measure frequency. Frequency creates sacred geometry. Sacred geometry plus time equals music. And the four dimensions coming together in beautiful harmony. And then you have that on the grandest scale in cosmology. And everything happening around us constantly. Science, nature, magic, it happens all around us constantly, whether you're aware of it or not. Nothing is ever, shall we say, not vibrating, at least a little bit. Nothing is ever completely still, at least not in the physical dimensions that we are currently living in. Not in the physical dimensions that we can observe scientifically by modern science's understanding. For those of us who magically journey into the darker and more hellish realms, we know that we have collective anecdotal evidence that there are some things frozen in time comparable to the concept of zero Kelvin, the so-called absolute zero. Walking through the lower realms, we can see souls trapped in the walls as stones sealed up by what weighs them down. This is karmic. This can be... They can be studied in just about any religion that talks about the concepts of higher and lower realms. 
There was a, a beautiful movie, uh, literally entitled As Above, So Below. I think it was an indie movie, the way it was designed. And uh, they actually made wonderful commentary on it when um, one of the characters was going through hell and there were people frozen in the wall. Uh, they were stone, held in place, vibrating so low that they became as still as stone. This is not to scare anybody. I'm certainly not trying to proletize as a, you know, do these things, otherwise you'll go to hell. I'm, I'm not necessarily, you know, well, I'm not doing that at all. I don't know why I'm saying necessarily. So I want to make that abundantly clear that this is merely a tool to get you to understand these realms a little bit more and to also kind of lay the foundation of what it is I'm talking about so you all can understand my ramblings. As you know, I can ramble a bit. Now, the fundamental aspects of the laws of nature and how they function are quite interesting. So I had to give you an extreme before I can pare this down to our more nuanced dimension the dimensions of the phi, the golden ratio in the Fibonacci sequence in which life is sustained here in Mother Earth. Here I will briefly speak within aspects of biology, physics, and chemistry. In the literal aspects of such and the medical, uh, the medical, the metaphysical aspects of such. I suppose it is medical <laughs> to certain points. I guess if we talk about the medical symbolism in regards to how chemical reactions work to either bring about healing or cause the opposite of such. So things can either be classified as matter or energy. The word matter comes from the Greco-Latin word mater, much like the word pattern comes from the Greco-Latin word pater. So this is where we get mother and father, you know, things that are tangible and intangible. It's quite interesting. And these words have affected us for as long as possible. So it, then that goes back to everything I usually say in regards to the power of magic. You know, we talk about spelling. I've, I've done all this with with you all before multiple times, so I won't be too redundant for those of you who have listened to other episodes of the podcast if this is your first podcast well interesting place to start different so here we will talk about how energy and matter resonate how they trans transmute transform trans transfigure etc etc Matter can be nurtured or oxidized to store or release energy. Energy can be converted into other types of energy, i.e. thermal, electric, sound, mechanical, which is the principles of transmutation, transformation, transfiguration, which can all be theoretically classified under the large umbrella of the word metamorphosis. But energy as we understand it cannot be created or destroyed. Now, atoms can never truly be destroyed, but the matter in which atoms make up can theoretically be destroyed. But when you destroy something, you create something else. 
theoretically, nothing can be truly create, truly uh, created or destroyed. Uh, theoretically, just transformed. Everything in the universe that we need is is in the ether, is in the akasha. It exists indefinitely, but matter in and of itself is interesting. For example, uh, we've used this metaphor before, where if we burn wood and it turns to ashes, do we not... We destroy the wood, but in destroying the wood, do we not create ashes? When we burn anything, when we oxidize anything, do we not create ashes? When we create a chemical reaction with uh, other elements, do we not create a new substance altogether? Which is a new type of matter. But it's matter coming together in, a, in another way. The ratios of, the, of existence within molecules. Both, we must understand, however, are not mutually exclusive as one could not exist without the other. Much like light and darkness, the, the poles of gender, the poles uh, that we talk about in the Kabbalion of the seven hermetic principles. This is the wisdom we can find in the Eastern philosophies of yin-yang and within the concepts of modern horseshoe theory, that things that are poles can often appear as each other and also have a little bit of each other inside themselves. Nothing is ever truly separate from something unless it is a parasitic antithesis, which is uh, a term that I've coined. I think I've talked about it once in a podcast. So there are two types of antitheses. There's symbiotic antitheses, which are natural poles that only exist because of each other. And there is parasitic antitheses, which is an antithesis that was created from something artificially for the need of simply being an antithesis. We're seeing this a lot in a lot of places, dear friends, and it's something you have to watch out for. Watch out in philosophies, you know, your states of mind, but also just concepts in general, where you create a pole out of something that only exists because it has to be the antithesis of what it is fighting against, therefore becoming exactly what it is it, it fights against. It's really interesting phenomena to watch, and... The interesting thing psychologically is that when you make yourself an antithesis of something, what happens when you beat that thing? If you've made your whole identity about fighting against that thing, you actually have no incentive to destroy it. This kind of is the idea that exists within the psychology of the wonderful DC character Batman and Joker. So, we will move on from that, but keep that in mind. These concepts can be maddening and can cause aporia if you're not careful. Understanding matter is a bit easier than understanding energy, so why don't we start with matter? Which makes sense because we see the physical world before we see the metaphysical world. So there are three states of matter. Some people would say there are four states of matter. It really kind of depends. You'll see what I'm saying in a moment. So... Solid, liquid, and gas, obviously, uh, all, all those of us who have, have been through basic chemistry and, and biology in high school. So you have solid, liquid, and gas. Now, the fourth, which I'm speaking of, is plasma, which is just ionizing atoms and molecules. But this is still theoretically just hyperexcited atoms oxidizing, releasing rapid energy that causes iridescence that can be found only in the gas form which is usually found in fire and lightning, as oxidation is the way that these two things are created. 
Remember this point, as it is a pillar of understanding this that I am speaking of. This is crucial in understanding how magic, how casting a spell, every time you cast a spell, you're basically creating a type of storm. In these states of matter, the atoms which compose such are either vibrating slowly and together, which is a solid, things that are vibrating slowly and together and the atoms are on top of each other, are solid. They are lower vibrational tendency. Lower not necessarily meaning bad, higher not necessarily meaning good friends. Everything has its purpose. It's if you naturally fit there. So we must understand the symbologies of ourselves to see if we are to be lower versus higher vibratory beings. So things are either vibrating slowly and together, which are solid, or vibrating quickly and further apart or simply separated altogether, which is gas. Liquid is the obviously the in-between, which it's not quite together or dense enough to be solid, but also not quite separate or light enough to float above air. Now, things exist at naturally regulated temperature, and how they exist in naturally regulated temperature is usually their most stable form. So, at room temperature, mercury is a liquid, so that is when it's most natural. But most things at room temperature tend to remain solid, um, except water, there are a couple of things, you know, so, but it's, you'll see most things tend to have a solid form to them. Uh, at natural room temperature that are theoretically the most tangible. So our forms, the forms of the physical things around us, the tangible things that we can use to, to build and make society, etc., etc. So stable in this context, we will define as not being destroyed instantaneously by standard natural conditions or growing uncontrollably or destroying other aspects of the ecosystem around it. I know I've used sodium as an example before. We're going to use it as an example again. Stable matter is not usually something that is just one thing. For example, so table salt, sodium chloride, NaCl is found naturally in nature, whereas pure sodium is not. And thank divinity for that because it is one of the most reactive elements on the periodic table. It is one of the most destructive elements in existence. If added to water straight, it is combustible because it reacts with the hydrogen and it can cause rapid oxidation. Imagine if the NaCl molecules just decided to break in the ocean because the ocean is like 97% salt. as so much sodium. Uh, there was so much sodium chloride and so, so many salts in the ocean. And... Imagine if they separated. If they separated instantaneously, the, the ocean would just randomly explode. It certainly would have set back sailors and explorers quite a lot. I don't think we'd ever truly trust sailing. So, it is highly combustible. Now, this hellish thought is really interesting, but it's the key to understanding science in its most basic forms. When we separate things completely, anything can be evil. Anything can be complete darkness. Anything, and again, darkness is not evil, but completely, complete light or complete darkness is evil. Good without evil is evil. Evil without good is evil. Good in its appropriate hierarchy with evil is the only true good. So light and darkness. This is how our existence works. It is never truly night or day forever. 
Now, salt is found naturally in where we mine it, uh, for, for table salt. It's most notably mined in the rock halite. My point is this, is that the symbolic poles work much better um, when they are together. Symbiotic poles work much better when they come together and are usually most destructive substances when they are separated. Understanding chemical reactions both physically and metaphysically, literally and figuratively symbolically, is the key to planning and executing your spells with care and precision with minimal to no consequence. Though everything has a price, so do be prepared. The key to understanding this symbolism correspondence is this, and our ancient ancestors knew this. So let us speak about the five classical elements, air, fire, water, earth, and spirit, aether, quintessence, sometimes synonymous with air and fire, depending on the context. These elements all compose all existence. This is found synonymous in the times of day, the seasons of the year caused by Earth's rotation and orbit around the sun. Air is of the east, where the sun rises, dawn, morning, and spring. Fire is noon and summer. Water is where the sun sets. It is evening, twilight, dusk, and autumn. Earth is night, midnight, and winter. And the new beginning, right before it becomes spring, transitionary. Spirit is all of these things. It is the force which drives them, animates them, if you will. It is expressed as sound, holy fires, blue light, white light, golden light, really rich golden light, but none more visible to the naked eye in science than the flashing iridescence known as lightning. Where science and magic cross, lightning is when the four elements combine, which is positively charged lightning, and which you will see as one direct bolt, or separate into the four elements once again, renewed, Negatively charged lightning. Negatively charged lightning refracts and it separates into multiple uh, uh, bridges or arms, as, as uh, I will describe it to you. Whereas positively charged lightning bolts tend to be one long bolt. Nine times out of ten, I would say that all the people who have survived lightning strikes were most likely struck by negatively charged lightning because positively charged lightning is about a thousand times stronger than negatively charged lightning. So, how does this happen in nature? The most common answer is, of course, rainstorms. So, think that wonderful show uh, that we all saw in the 90s, by your powers combine, I won't say it, I'll leave it up to the imagination, when you combine the elements together. The most interesting of effects. So air is where we will start, the most basic element, the abstract element. Air can exist the way it does on Earth, held together in the firmament, Earth's gravity, which creates the atmosphere. So we're already in two of the four elements as to how they are created in a rainstorm. Obviously in a rainstorm, you're going to have water, you hear rain, but where's the heat come from? Well, this will be explained. So air is all around us in our atmosphere, the firmament, as it is esoterically referred to. The sun heats the air and the earth's surface. The heat energy is scattered, but the surface of the earth is uneven, so different areas get more of the sun's heat energy. 
The air is heated unevenly, and the hotter air particles rise because heat rises and expands, as does our universe, constantly expanding. Cold air is denser and more together in their atoms, so the hot air rushes up and the cold air rushes in, in ratio, to replace the air moving upward out into our atmosphere. The ratio of these two contrasting pressures and the multiple contrasting pressures is what causes wind to blow. And the greater the ratio contrast, the more powerful and the more chilling and cutting this wind can be. Cutting, symbolic of the double-edged sword, what we see in the symbology of the taroki and the symbolism that came before it, that created this beautiful symbolism. The greater the ratio of hot air moving upward, the greater the ratio of cold air moving to replace it. This is wind gusts of all aspects. So winds, uh, tornadoes, gales, cyclones, all of the above. If you understand this in particular, you can better tap into wind magic as a whole. So we must learn the individual magics of the elements on their own and how they are together. But they are never completely separate, but they are also never completely together until they come together in lightning and the vibrations start to go upward. The sun's heat also evaporates water, which becomes collections of clouds, water and other small trace amounts of gases, but mostly water. The wind gusts of high and low pressure. Now, to quote uh, my earth science teacher, shout out to my dear high school earth science teacher who taught me some of these wonderful little proverbs to remember. Mr. Shafanda, shout out to you. I hope life and retirement are treating you well. High pressure is happy weather. High is happy and low pressure for lousy weather. Low is lousy is how you would remember these things. Now, of course, I get beauty is in the eyes of the beholder, but we're talking about pressure that causes things that can affect moods of people and, uh, you know, destroy things. You're much, easy to be, much easier to be destroyed in a hurricane than it is on a standard sunny day. So, keeping with that idea. So the high and low pressure of winds cause clouds to push together create pressure friction, which causes rapid heating and cooling simultaneously. In the clouds, the condensed water particles and the ice particles in the atmosphere, so the atoms and the molecules, moved by the wind, bombard each other. And they create basically static cling in the sky, much like when we drag our feet across a carpet. And they start to oxidize and ionize, which creates lightning. And all of this happens because of the Earth's ability to hold these storms in the atmosphere. All storms are perfect. The perfect storm is kind of a misnomer. It is fitting that when we see symbology of stories with the gods, specifically, let's say, like Zeus, Yahweh, Thor, um, that when we seek an answer from them, or divine intervention, we see it as a lightning strike. Now think, dear friends, in all of the shows and, and uh, stories and video games and plays that you've had when the, a main character has divine intervention. When a lightning bolt comes and strikes down, it's usually one lightning bolt that is positively charged lightning, indicative of the higher aspects as opposed to the lower aspects separating. When d divine energy comes down 
the objective essence of existence comes downward, it separates into the four elements into this existence that we know. But when it combines together and goes upward, it becomes one substance once again. This is also indicative of the symbology of the phallus versus the vagina. Now, lightning is spirit. Sound is spirit. Aether is spirit. It's no wonder our nervous systems positive resemble positive and negatively charged lightning. And our nervous systems react because of the synapses caused by small electrical transfers that happen between our, our lipids and our proteins. We really are beautifully designed biomechanical creatures. And so much more than simply those words. And now I can make commentary on what I was saying before when I say nature mimics itself everywhere. It mimics itself in how I just described in the nervous system. It's interesting when people get struck by lightning, especially when they die because things tend to freeze in place. If you look at the corpses, not to be morbid, uh, their nervous system tends to be fried and imprinted on them. The lightning that passed through too fast to most likely cause cardiac arrest. Uh, and also fry and rewire the brain. And to give you a little idea, I was electrocuted when I was two years old. I stuck a key in an outlet because I wanted to drive a car. Symbology of movement. I was thinking of my mother driving the car, starting the ignition. Ignition. I was two, I climbed on the sink and plugged it in. It's my first memory, actually. I remember it as very, very cold. Like the chills of, you know, getting a nerve-firing synapse. I get them, I'm getting them right now as I'm speaking to you in real time. So, who knows how that might have changed me? Who knows if it made me this way? You know, we, we can say a million things. But it, it certainly is at the very least poetic. But I always say wise when the absence of the other. I do believe everything happens for a reason. Now... Another place where you can find the aspects of rapid heating and cooling, turning into a spidering-like position, a spidering-like form, rather, is, for example, in house fires. They reference this, actually, for those of you who love Law and Order, SVU, Season 11, Episode 1. So I have a, I have a photographic memory, friend, so I can remember numbers and, and situations. I can paste them together very easily and remember very instantaneously. So um, the, it was an episode, I believe it was called Torch. And this was uh, the episode where Sharon Stone was uh, becoming the new ADA. Uh, I know I sound like I'm fanboying a little bit, but I, I, do, I do love the work of Christopher Maloney and Mariska Hargitay and all, all those actors. So, um, but uh, sorry for the brief dig, uh, di digression. But uh, they explained it deeper in the episode where they talked about rapid heating and rapid cooling. People think spider glass is caused by, uh, in house fires, the fire causing that, because the fire just destroys everything. That's not inherently the case, because glass is created by high temperatures. And the temperatures needed for glass to melt is much higher. Otherwise, the glass would have melted. It wouldn't spider. It, it, would, it would melt. What causes the spidering is rapid cooling when compared to the high heat. Because when things rapidly cool, if we understand this, that atoms are separating when they are heating up, 
and they come together when they are cooling. Basically, the two opposing energies coming together at such a rapid rate, the glass atoms and molecules, well, the atoms and molecules which compose the glass, do not have time to compensate for the amounts of energy they're being bombarded with contrasting. They do not have that type of elasticity. So what happens is they can't come together fast enough and the form, as we see it, starts to separate. It starts to break and, and crack. And this rapid heating and cooling, which is the exact thing that needs to happen for lightning to be created, happens in glass. It looks exactly like negatively charged lightning. And negatively charged because it's something that's breaking apart. It's so poetic. You can't, you can't even fathom how perfect existence is when you observe all of these things in real time. Everything happens. Nothing should be rapidly heated and cooled. Um, it's, you actually have to watch out for that. You know, never apply, in a, as my dear Dicasteria um, uh, will always, always tell me, is that never apply straight cold water to a burn. Apply warm water to it. Gradually cool it down because it'll be like the same thing. Now, we are a little more elastic than glass, but it's still not necessarily good. It can cause different kinds of oxidative stress. It's how you weigh things away by exposing them to the elements in a particular way. So, it is really fascinating, and you can see this everywhere in nature. These are but a few examples, but the form is key. Our nervous system, spider glass, lightning, particularly negatively charged lightning, all resemble each other. Now, what are the odds of that, huh? So, I will continue with this brief talk on lightning, magic, and storms, and come together with how we can put this ritualistically after a word from our sponsor. And we're back. So, to continue on, we will continue to speak about nature, and then I will put this into ritual, and then we'll wrap this up. So, a big thing I want you all to take away from this, outside of the magic as well, is living life in tandem with nature makes it easy for things to flow. And how do we understand nature? Well, we're still understanding nature. But there are things that have remained relatively unchanged for thousands of years, and those are the things that we can observe most often. So it's really interesting to see how, like, systems can work. Systems need to constantly expand. They need to constantly grow. They need to grow in a way that is sustainable. You don't want to grow too fast because you will die faster. You do not want to glow, grow too slowly, however, otherwise you will not be able to keep up with other things that might be out there to eat you, so to speak. Because nature, nature is as cruel as she is beautiful, because those things are theoretically synonymous. It is fascinating to see. And we, even in our systems of society, people think that society is separate from nature. It very well is not, and the Greeks know that. That is indicative of 
the word polis and the symbology of the word polis. So, and I know I've talked about that briefly on other episodes, and we will leave it to another episode and in my classes should you wish to attend them. But the Greeks knew that the polis was the natural sequence in which nature, man, can achieve apotheosis, but not the way we necessarily know cities today, as we're seeing quite a lot of discord in a lot of cities, with people being too on top of each other, not enough people understanding each other, a need for instant gratification. And this is not necessarily inherently everybody's fault. Some of this is psychology and sociology at work. But we must understand that our systems have to mimic nature as well if they are to survive. For example, in monetary systems, we must have a steady growth in money if we are to have movement and exchange of value. The as above, so below, so within, so without, as the universe, so the soul is, is greatly indicative in money. Now, most people, would, most people like to directly misquote the whole, uh, you know, they say money is the root of all evil. And I know I've stated this before when people, people say this, that you know, money is, uh, as I've said, money is not the root of all evil. Money is much like any, anything that can enhance, a, a, well, and amplify, rather, a personality. Much like alcohol or, or drugs or a platform or a microphone. It just, if, if you're a good person, it will make, it will it will shine that goodness. If you are a bad person, it will shine that badness, that, that malevolence. So these are things to keep in mind. Now, if we are to have different amounts of, of money in different places, an exchange of value for goods... It would make sense that this system would react much like the hierarchies of nature. Air and air and the storms rising and falling air pressures, causing dissonance and thus redistributing and bringing balance back to things. Storms bring balance back to the Earth's electromagnetic fields. They distribute energy, nutrients, and the sustenance of water back to the many creatures and living organ well, the organisms of the earth. That was redundant of me. It regenerates our ozone layer. It really kind of puts everything back in, much like music. Dissonance must come in order for a beautiful cadence. The greater the dissonance, the more beautiful the cadence that precedes it. Now, if we make systems in which everything is literally equal, imagine if that translated into nature. Everyone would theoretically be dead. If the earth stopped rotating, if the sun stopped heating the air unevenly, if certain air, certain air particles and certain things did not rise to the top of some sort of hierarchy, because there's a reason why it's called the animal kingdom. There's a reason why nature is, is a kingdom. If all of these things were completely equal all of the time, we would not be able to have storms. We would not restore the ozone layer, and the Earth and everything on it would die. So we must make sure that all of our societal systems react this way. Now, I'm not necessarily trying to push a political ideal, 
merely trying to relate these things that are very evident in nature uh, to the affairs of humanity, which is not absent from nature, contrary to what seems to be popular belief. But, you, again, you take this for whatever it is it means to you. So, how does this work in regards to magic? Well, let's think of how a storm looks. So a storm usually rotates in a circle. You have to get air spinning and rotating in order to create a storm. No rotation, no storm. Now, the eye of the storm is the place in which there's most peace, while the turmoil and the change, the winds of change and the, the drastic dissonance which will bring cadence surrounds it. This is your altar and this is your being and or your entire coven surrounding the altar or you as an individual, in the center of the circle in which you draw. When you're drawing a circle, it's not just protecting you. Theoretically, if you had a storm between, if, if let's say you had enemies, and they were trying to come to you, you were in the eye of the storm, you are safe. But they have to pass through the storm in order to get to you, which is much more trouble than it's worth. So, it is not only protective, but it is a thing that grows power and brings idea to things simultaneously. There's a reason why we call thinking a brainstorm. Now, do you think that's coincidence? It is coincidence. So, when we draw the circle, we are creating a small storm, albeit a small one that is in ratio to what we are as beings. It is uh, scaled to size. It is scaled to the appropriate ratios in order to mimic the mathematics of what it would be on a larger scale. Now these ideas, if you understand this, it is very easy for you to do weather magic. Though, again, beware. But you can make your thoughts, your wills, your manifestations synonymous with the weather and everything that happens in nature around you. How it resonates determines how it will function. That goes back to the modal tendency. So if you want to learn intellectualism, either the storm, which does everything, or if you want to, if you want to achieve something that is particular of an intellectual means, it would probably make a bit more sense to use air than it would, than it would let's say, water. This does not mean that these elements are not in there. Obviously, in the periodic table of the elements, when things come together, oxygen is in hydrogen to make water. So the ideas are mixed, but some things may be more resonant. There is no wrong, but there certainly is better. There's different ways to achieve things. So, and that's, again, understanding uh, modal tendency, how an objective essence resonates and functions within a subjective body. Similar to modality. However, modality is a bit more fixed, whereas modal tendency is, okay, it most likely will be this uh, statistically, but there are exceptions, in which case can be hard to follow. But they are still scientific and they are still mathematical. There is an exception to everything, and this is why we must learn all the rules so we can learn where it is they break or they bend or where it is we can break them uh, as a figure of speech. Nothing is ever theoretically truly broken. Everything works within nature. It's just that there are rarities. Um, a big place to understand where rarities in nature can occur is in genetics. I was actually, you know, it's funny. I was actually uh, watching uh, some aspects of genetics and the topic of 
incestuous habits were brought up. And uh, most people think that people get diseases because being incest is it, it can cause diseases to happen. It, m- it more so is that people um, have, they have, they have dominant genes and they have recessive genes as we know which are once again equivalent to the masculine and the feminine, the, the push and the pull, the give and the receive. Still all the same idea. We have dominant and recessive genes, and the thing is is that when you have more diversity in your genetic background, you have less of a chance of making genes that can cause rare genetic disorder, which can cause disease, from being created. Whereas if you were to share genetic material from people who are already related to you, you make those genes more dominant. And then things that might be rare can turn into something that is not rare in the offspring that is, uh, that is created. So these are things we must watch out for, friends. So it's the big thing that we say, you can't stay in one place for too long. Don't be magically incestuous. <laughs> uh, so that'll be an interesting thing for you to remember. Obviously, I'm speaking figuratively. Um, Well, and literally, too, in case that isn't abundantly obvious. So, back to the storm. Back to uh, the ideas. If you want something that has to do with passion, you're going to probably use fire a little bit more. If you want something that has to do with tender emotions that move people gently and and refresh them, you're going to think water. If you want something that grounds you, if you want something that has to do with literal monetary wealth, obviously you're going to work with earth. Now, the storm can work with all of that because everything is everything. But there is a time to use, let's say, uh, a soup in which we pair almost every spice in some sort of ratio together. And that is tasty because it's a plethora of taste. And then there are times to make something that has only one or two tastes to it. The simplicity makes it richer. And to add more things to it is to dilute it. We want to make sure we create a perfectly ratioed rainbow and not simply dirt. It's And not that dirt is bad. Dirt has its purpose. But it is how we understand the palette that is very important here. That nuance and the golden ratio are key to understanding how to make something manifest more naturally and with, with little ease. Magic follows the path of least resistance. And the path of least resistance can also be understood in the aspects of energy in physics. There's so strong nuclear energy, weak nuclear energy, electromagnetism, and gravity. Gravity is the weakest form of physics energy, and the strongest form of physics energy is strong nuclear energy. Strong nuclear energy, you know, we think of, so it's nuclear fission and there's nuclear fusion. So fission is what is used in um, uh, when we... Uh, do nuclear plants to collect electricity. And fusion is what happens in the sun very often. One could argue that both is happening, but I I believe that fusion happens more. And I will, if I'm, uh, I I will definitely uh, quintuple check that. I feel like I've read that so many times, but those two words can make you a bit cockeyed. So we're casting a circle. We're starting a storm, getting the air rotating, creating the maelstrom. A tornado, a tornado of water is a whirlpool. A tornado of fire is an inferno. A tornado of earth, well, one could argue that's an earthquake. But, uh, uh, man, imagine if that was quicksand. That would be, that would be double horrifying. But 
we're getting things rotating. Reenacting the Ouroboros. Reenacting a storm. Opening the portals. Shifting the dimensions. Creating that of a void that is being filled. This is sex. This is where creation happens. This is where life happens. Are you starting to see more and more what I'm saying? That life mimics itself absolutely everywhere. That is the only way for miracles to happen. To quote Alistair Crawley, that what the vulgar mind would call miracles or supernatural is actually quite natural, but it is very, very hard to understand. And you must work very hard and you must work with the gods. Um, I know this quote was often attributed to uh, Louis Pasteur, uh, the one who, he, he did a lot of things. Uh, to, he cured rabies and also pasteurization came from his name as well. Uh, he did a lot of things um, to help uh, prevent disease or cure disease. Um, unfortunately, he had to do uh, a lot of experimentation, you know, so there was a price to what it is he did. But the one phrase that's often attributed to him, but I believe it came before him, was a little bit of science takes you away from God, all of science brings you back to him. He was speaking from the point of view of a Christian. I will speak from the point of view of a polytheist. Little science takes you away from divinity. All of science brings you back to them. Keep asking. Want it feverishly, friends. Passionately. Ask wholeheartedly. And do something with this information. Knowledge is only... Knowledge and wisdom are only for the people who use it to serve others. And teach them. Bring them closer to divinity. To have knowledge for the sake of it. It's one of the most selfish things you can do. So, we're casting a circle and we're invoking the elements. And it's interesting, particularly in the Hermetic style, how the elements are set up and how we invoke the elements. Starting with air, going to earth, water, well, starting, well, some people start with earth, air, fire, then water, and some people start air, fire, water, and earth. Now, the difference is very minimal. One could argue, but I would start with air, mainly because I'm Greco-Roman, and a lot of my foundational practices certainly stem between that and hermetics and, uh, and well, many other practices, as, I, as I've told you about, but, you know, the languages I speak are Greek, Latin, Italian, and obviously English. Now, we must understand that invoking air first, the air starts to blow. We invoke fire, the heating. Now air and fire are together, the heating, the higher aspect. Now we have the separation of the hot and the cold air. The water is the cold and it's also evaporating. It's going up into the sky and earth grounds it. The positive and negatively charged poles start to form the storm in place. Then we invoke spirit. We combine them all together. We bring the quintessence down all in one and one in all. And then you cast the circle. The visualized dome resembles that of the firmament that is painted in so many beautiful pieces of art. The, the heavens, the orb that is our Mother Earth, the dear goddess Gaia. It is absolutely fascinating. But we're creating a storm. 
And much like the concept of brainstorm, we have an idea, an idea and a collection of ideas that this storm is supposed to represent. Where does it hit the most? Where does it strike? The symbology of mathematics and number are very important with this because if it rains a bit more and where the wind is going, you know, if it rains a bit more in one area and the wind blows in a particular direction, that is all indicative with how your magic may function. It, the storm would have happened anyway, but you add to it, you give to it, you move it. It's, it's absolutely maddening. And, and again, I, I hope everyone's listening with an esoteric ear because, you know, this is a podcast. I, I don't have uh, my visuals. I don't have uh, the amount of time that I can do in my 6 to 12 hour intensives. I, you know, so I, I really want you to listen to the, to the passion and the esotericism that transcends simply the English words that I'm speaking. But I do believe I'm speaking uh, a decent form of articulation to understand this. So these, this symbology is very important. You must have these things in you, friend. The cycle of existence, the circle, the spiral. We create these things and then we have this idea. We make it happen. We make it the crux. We are the center. And then the turmoil happens all around us. We are conducting an orchestra, a symphony to resonate into the universe. And those atoms will function. We will program them. And we program ourselves because when we cast magic, we are casting it on ourselves too. Movement is better than stagnance. We must gather our energy and release it. Energy cannot stay in one place too long or it will rot. Energy cannot move for too long or it will oxidize whatever it is flowing through and it will break it apart, killing it. Once again, proving that life has to be this nuanced thing that rides a fine line. We must have an equitable ratio of our exercise to exorcise of exertment and nurturing of our forms. This is how we serve divinity. The kingdom of divinity is inside us and outside of us simultaneously. We must love this earth. We must practice this constantly. So if you study the symbolism of a storm, I implore you all, really, study the symbolisms of a storm, study the symbolisms of the elements, uh, both in the concepts of the East and the West, um, and uh, I suppose, let's say the Ayurvedic elements, uh, some people would still say it's classified as the West or the, the Middle East, uh, down the middle, fine. Whatever it is we're, we're going to, stay, to say. Study all these concepts. Things reflect each other. Oh, also, um, uh, the uh, equator is also uh, a mirror within a mirror. It's very interesting. But I'll get to that at, an, at another point in time. Just now I'm starting to be bombarded by the thoughts hitting my thoughts. <laughs> the, the storm going on in my head as I explain to you storms. Uh, the, 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 the repetition is, is certainly something. As I said, uh, everything mimics itself. Nature mimics itself everywhere. So at the risk of getting any more waxing lyrical than I, than I already have in this past hour of which I've given you, I hope that this helps you a little bit. If you'd like me to clarify further, I can certainly do another podcast, or you can come to one of my Magic Theory and Correspondence classes, which talks about this topic. We have a whole series. We have a whole, we have many units in Magic Theory and Correspondence. In order to understand these things, we must get through all the symbology and the science and then bring it all back together. So, we teach in a way that resembles the Kundalini rise, the Kadikus. So, we... 
we have a lot to offer, and we hope uh, to see you all. Uh, thank you all for everyone who supports us, who has continued to support us. Uh, for those of you who enjoy what it is we do here at Daimonikos Productions, we are really trying to grow things. We are creating our own perfect storm. We are, we are, we have created our own culture, and we are furthering and creating more of that culture. We just want to live our traditions, and we want to encourage you all to live your traditions or, and learn from other traditions, learn from many things around the world. This is how we can, can bring peace, true peace and true understanding. Make the bridges that are all too desperately needed in these times. So, again, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out, feel free to email us if there's something that was a little maddening, or if you want me to elaborate on something further, perhaps you want to debate, come to a symposium, or if you want to, you know, if you want to speak on something, if you want to have anything contrary, we certainly welcome criticism, but we, we welcome constructive criticism, as we say. We do not, we do not welcome people who fancy themselves wise asses. You know, you know, like, don't, don't do that. <laughs> it's just, uh, you, you, please don't make a fool of yourself. It disgraces, it disgraces the divinity that created you. Have some respect for yourself. Um, so, uh, all in all, but uh, to our loyal listeners, thank you all so much. You're absolutely fantastic. Many blessings be to you. May, your, may the entirety of your dreams come true. May wealth ever flow into your life, and may you spend it wisely. Uh, wealth in all senses, not just physical, monetary wealth, obviously. So, uh, let's see, I stated the classes, I stated everything else we're doing. If you want to find anything else, always go on to daimonicosproductions.com. Um, email us, contact us in any way possible. Um, we had, as we said in the last episode, that we had moved to Michigan, we are in Lansing. I have a television program coming on, on May 20th and the ABC affiliate, uh, The Power of Mid-Michigan Arts, you should search it up. There you will find uh, the other name that I am known by, so if you, you want to, to hear those secrets, please by all means go right ahead, friends. Uh, a lot of things are changing and moving forward, and we'd love for you to be a part of this. Um, please still uh, visit our Patreon. Uh, please donate if you can. You know, every, every penny counts. We can certainly, sh you know, show you everywhere where things are going. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, uh, if you also want to collaborate in any way, shape, or form, you want to be on the podcast, or if you'd like to do some business, we are expanding business in a great many deal of areas. So, please... Uh, feel free to uh, reach out with any sort of inquiries if we find something that we that we deem can be be useful and symbiotic to the both of us. By all means, by all means, let's create a network. So, without any further ado, I believe it's time to conclude this episode. Again, I hope this helped. And many blessings to you all. As always, there is a little witch in all of us, and the spirits live in the mirror. Ha, 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 ha.